it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to episode 13 of the Circles Off podcast. I'm Rob Pozzola, joined joined by Johnny from Betstamp, and we are here in the Betstamp Southern office. Very nice and sunny this week, soaking up the rays. It's been been a good week so far, Johnny. It's the first ever live recording of Circles Off with uh, both Rob and I in person. So uh, we'll we'll excuse any audio issues as we're on kind of like a backup mic setup here, but uh, we hope everything still uh, comes out okay. Before we uh, get into this week's um, topics, and this is largely going to be an episode focused on um, things that have happened in the gambling community over the last um, week or so, uh, some things to talk about there. But I would ask everyone, uh, I'm, you know, we haven't really been plugging the podcast all that much, but please do rate and review um, if you can. This is going to be the only time that I really plug it for the next little while, but please, um, we do want to elevate this in uh the uh, apple store is it the apple store an apple apple podcast spotify wherever you listen if you can just uh, read like basically just go rate it five stars or whatever you think and uh i mean it's basically just to help the podcast grow get seo right now uh we thank everyone for the support we're getting on twitter and stuff like that um but outside of you know the regular gambling twitter community it's going to be hard to grow without some you know seo rankings and different things on these stores um, but yeah, that's it. That's the plug. Um, and I guess we'll get into the content now. Yeah. So, uh, let's, let's start with, with our DGEN betting fund this week. So, um, for those that don't know, just in general, uh, I, I can have some fun on the recreational side of things. Sometimes I've never, you know, I'm, I'm betting for a living, but I've never claimed to exclusively be making bets that are plus EV. Um, and I do have the side of me that's just like a regular sports fan that might want to bet the game that's on TV and have some fun with it. Uh, and being in the offices uh, all together with the guys this week um, and having a pretty neat TV set up outside and inside and just having a lot of things going on. You can imagine that we would want to be betting on some sports, um, including some stuff that maybe we don't model or are running numbers on. Um, so we started what we call the, the DGEN betting fund earlier this week. And, and we're doing pretty well right now, although it was a, a really rough start with uh, Xander Shoffley, a round one leader at the PGA, which was like never even close. But uh, I guess I, I kind of wanted to bring it up because it's like we are recreational ga- recreationally gambling, but we're taking an approach where we're trying to either lose less or make actually making plus EV plays in a recreational way. Yeah. Well said, Rob. So I think, um, you know, personally, I, and I've said it on this podcast, like I don't bet for fun. Uh, I, I bet to make money. Uh, it's very hard for me to place a bet that I think is going to be losing me money in the long run. Um, but again, there are scenarios in which, you know, you could treat betting as more of a recreational thing as an entertainment aspect. So, uh, yeah, what we're doing here is, you know, obviously there's a bunch of sports on. It was a big week. You had the PGA, you have, you know, a bunch of different, like, you know, European sports. You got some tennis on, you got some NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs. 
and to to play like to watch the games and just have fun with the guys and throw a couple bucks on it is typically a negative EV move in terms of dollars. But what we've been trying to do is find ways, um, you know, essentially just scrub through and see what we can find that makes it either plus expected value or makes it slightly negative EV to break even, at which point the fun we're having and, and you know, the, the sweat ends up pushing the whole avenue uh, into a plus expected value proposition. So we're going to talk about some of the things we do. Even, you know, we preach never betting, you know, a minute before the games. But if you are going to do this, and we know we're we're preaching this, I guess, now because we know what happens all the time. And everyone, you know, um, when you're with your buddies at a bar and you look down at the phone and you see the game starting, you might want to place a bet. Here are a couple things we're doing, um, and it's not all the things you can be doing, but it's a couple easy ways that you might be able to find something. So I'll let Rob kick it off. Yeah. So first and foremost, I think we're at an advantage as a group in having a lot of different places to bet. And that is fundamentally going to help you as a sports better just in general. I'm not talking about whether you're making recreational plays or you're betting professionally. If you have more outs, you are able to shop for more prices and in the long run, that's going to be advantageous. I always make the same comparison or, or the same analogy, but if you walk into a grocery store and you have the same bag of chips uh, on, on one rack and every single one of those bags of chips is priced at three bucks, and then there's one that's priced at $2.50, you're always going to take the one that's priced at $2.50. No one else is going to grab the $3 one. And that same logic applies to sports betting. If you want to bet a specific team and you're dead set on doing so, that's fine. But you should be able to get the best price available. And even if it doesn't matter what time of day you're looking at, this principle applies. So for us, that's been something that's been front and center, I would say, certainly, is that, okay, we're not necessarily certain that we have an edge here, but we've been able to find some prices that are relatively off market where we might actually have an edge on that number. And even if we don't, in the long run, we're best served to bet that price because we're going to lose less. Yeah. So, for example, yesterday, um, and Rob and I are both uh, Toronto Maple Leafs fans hailing uh, from Toronto, born and raised. Um, we wanted, you know, potentially a little sweat on the Leafs. So, you look at the options. Like, what can you get to back your favorite team? Even in a sense where, you know, uh, Rob's modeled the game. He doesn't have an edge. He makes it somewhere in between where the midpoint is of the, the current market price. Um, but... For example, what I do is I, I open up BetStamp and I'm taking a look like, okay, what's what's best available on either side? There was a scenario yesterday where you have, you know, Leafs coming in around at minus 170 at, at one book. And then you've got Montreal at another book where you can get them, you know, plus 165, plus 167. So in that scenario, although, you know, you don't have a straight arbitrage play where you're locking in money, but when you're betting into something at that low of a hold and you can take your pick, um, you're really not costing yourself a ton of money. So something like that, betting the lease right before the game, but taking it at a, a really, really low hold, that's probably your best option if you want to save money. But further to that is, um, and there's no comparison tool yet for this on BetStamp, which we, you know, we hope to launch one day soon, but comparing all of the alternate markets. So something like, uh, you know, Leafs to win by two, Leafs to win by three, by four even, and just comparing it around a, a couple different notes and seeing what prices you can get. Because in some cases, you'll find prices that are very, very close, yes, no, on either side. And you can bet into that at a, at a low hold. So st- stuff like that, uh, looking at different markets like player props, game props. This is even just for one isolated event where we're going to look through, scrape through a bunch of sites, 
uh, open up bed stamps, see what we can do. And, and overall, just that alone cuts your, your, your negative edge, um, probably by, you know, 50% or more. Yeah. Personally, on my end, I've been tailing people that I respect in certain sports, um, not knowing whether there's still an edge or not at the number that they played, but finding the best available number on the board. Um, so again, I'm not saying that in the long run, this is a, a recipe for success to make money. But when you're doing something that's fun like this, the Xander Shoffley one is a perfect example. We had abnormally distributed on as a guest a few weeks ago. That was one of the outrights that he posted on the tournament. But he posted the outright at like 21 to 1. By the time we were going to look to bet him, he's 13 to 1, 14 to 1 in a lot of spots. So we start looking at some alternative markets. We found the price of Shoffley first round leader that was... Um, I guess like a well unicorn price, yeah, yeah, well above market where we were able to just jump on that. Now it ends up being a loser. We didn't really expect to win that at, at a long shot price, but that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about here. And um, I mean, that's, that's just been the approach and it, it's, it's kind of fun. And look, like this is something for me that I personally don't experience a lot in my day-to-day betting uh, is looking at alternative markets a whole lot, especially props. Um, this is kind of like my first real foray into like 10 minutes before a game scouring every site imaginable and comparing props uh, and, and finding off-market numbers. So, you know, instead of bet- betting the Leafs to win a game, as an example, we had a scenario in game one where we bet Austin Matthews to score a goal because we were able to find a, an off-market price and we were still able to root for that um, over the course of the night. So those are that's basically the approach that we've been taking. Uh, I think we have a few more already today, hopefully. <laughs> it's, it's nice to have... Uh, it's nice to have a portfolio of stuff to cheer for while you're watching the games. Yeah. And and the last thing I'll mention on like the fun stuff is um, before we get into a few other ones is this is all small money stuff relative to the stuff we're betting for real. So when we mentioned like Austin Matthews to score a goal, um, you know, that's going to have like a limit that's like, you know, no more than a, a dime or two across a couple different sports books. So when we're looking at these things, like um, this is this is small market stuff. It's designed to have an edge, to have a couple hundred bucks on the game, to have a thousand on the game, to watch it for fun and enjoy it that way. Well said. So a couple other ones we wanted to mention in terms of while you're watching the game, what could be fun is, uh, so I've always had this idea when talking with my buddies watching a game is everyone always has that like prediction, right? Where they say like, oh, like, you know, Ovechkin just got hit hard. He's going to the bench. He's fired up. This guy's going to get the next goal or this guy's going to score the winner or something like that. Right. But you can never really bet those at a sports book. So uh, idea for anyone running a book right now is, is kind of like offer a service where, and they don't have to give great odds, but someone could kind of like type in uh, whatever they wanted to bet on mid game. And you could just offer a, a bettable price on that. And even if you're giving, you know, a really high hold, I think that would be kind of fun. So something like, Oh, I think, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers, he, he just got, he just got hit hard. He's down. Like he's going to come back for the third and have a huge quarter. I want him to get like over, you know, two touchdowns this quarter, things like that usually aren't offered in play. Um, so that would be something kind of cool, but we, we've been monitoring in play betting a lot and trying to find some edges that might be different from pregame. So Rob, did you want to discuss any, any of that? Yeah. So there's like specifically some stuff that I've never looked into, um, in live markets before, but in general, there's a lot of time, like I approach a live market exactly like I'd approach a pregame one. I'm trying to put a probability on some outcome happening and then I'm checking the odds to see if that matches with the probability or not. 
But we started to notice certain things like we've, we've seen a lot of overtime games lately in the NHL. Well, the first overtime period, the players have to skate across the ice to change. Their bench is on the other side of the rink. The second overtime period, their bench is on the same side as them, which is less likely for a defenseman to have to make a long change and get caught out or something like that. That's not something I ever picked up on before. But when you're looking at the live odds for that, those markets in overtimes, that's not really reflected. Now, do I know if that's an edge or not? No, I'm probably going to do some work into that after the fact. But logically speaking, it makes some sense. So we're kind of just looking to pick up on certain things like that. Um, but but it's always collectively as a group trying to come up with what we think the probability of an outcome is. And we look at each other and say, you know, I think this is 40% to happen, 50%. And we kind of just aggregate those numbers, check the odds. And if we have an edge, we fire. Um it's not like a scientific process by any sense of the imagination, but uh, or stretch of the imagination, I should say. But it's it's something that generally I think is productive. I I would agree. So watching the games and just even sitting at a bar, sitting on your couch watching the games, you can actually get a ton of value out of um, you know without having a spreadsheet, without having something by just like analyzing the play in different ways. So for example, in game one of the Toronto Maple Leafs series versus the Habs. Uh, John Tavares got injured, who's the Leafs captain, uh, one of the, a, a player that definitely, you know, not the best player in the game, but has some impact to the line. And like, you know, for a brief period, for a lengthy period, I should say, like those, those odds are not going to adjust in that sense. So, you know, betting Montreal at that time when John Tavares is on the ice, I know it's not the, the, the thing people are thinking of, but when you're, when you're looking at angles like that or a guy coming out of the game, uh, with an injury or a suspension or a penalty or goes to the dressing room for whatever reason, uh, there's different ways where you can find an edge just on the regular straight uh, straight money line there. And further, if you did want to do some sort of analysis and things like that, there's a lot of different tools that have like, you know, in-play evaluations of the game where you can see expected goals, expected shots. And we're just talking for hockey because that's the main thing on right now. Um, but seeing that one team is vastly, vastly outplaying another team in the first period, uh, does oftentimes pose edges for live intermission, first intermission betting, because as we know, um, the lines for in-play are largely derived. They're, they're, they're just derivatives of the pregame price. So anything that's factored into the pregame line is going to be there. And then obviously, you know, up one, nothing up to one, you know, different uh, scores is going to impact it. But uh, in terms of like actual play, if one team, you know, got steam pregame, uh, and then they get absolutely outplayed in the first period. You you may be able to pick up again if you line shop a good price on uh, the other team coming into the second period. Then I think one last thing we've been doing, which has been pretty fun, and and like this isn't just something that we invented, but it's the whole notion of offering your friend the price on something, right? Like me and Johnny disagreed on a lot of things this week, so it just becomes like a scenario where it's like, okay, give me a price. And we end up betting against one another, which makes things more fun. And again, it's it's recreational. And, you know, I fleeced Johnny on an F1 bet this week where he was like celebrating like it was um, free money for him. But the re- reality is um, I basically gave Johnny Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton versus the entire field at the Monaco Grand Prix. Now, at even money, at even money, which was an absolute steal. No, so so for anyone um, who obviously follows F1, they would think that's an absolute steal because Verstappen and Hamilton, like they win all the races all the time. But Monaco is a race where it's 
notoriously very, very difficult to pass. And Charles Leclerc had the pole position. The Ferraris were very fast in qualifying and in uh, their last two practices as well. And Johnny being like a different type of better than me immediately went to see like what the actual odds on the race were. And he's like, oh, Verstappen's minus 120. Plus I'm getting Hamilton is like plus 900. Like- Hamilton was a throw in in this race. I'll, I'll admit that Hamilton was just, you know, I, sure, I'll take him if you're offering him. I wanted Verstappen on the race over Leclerc. For anyone, so Verstappen was starting in second, and Charles Leclerc was starting in pole position first. And Rob's angle was that they're not going to pass, right? But for anyone who doesn't watch F1, Leclerc had a, basically like they couldn't get his car ready in time because he had some issues in his last um, in his last lap of qualifying, and then he ended up having to withdraw from the race pre-race. At which point Verstappen then started in first, clearly won the race, no sweat, never got past the whole race. And now Rob's claiming that Charles Leclerc would have would have won the race because okay. he was in first. No, but, well, let, let's and, back and for the listeners, I know action is bet because I'm a good friend. I, I gave I, him no action, even though, you know, who knows? Well, I, I was free rolling you. Like, I'll be honest with you. I, I was hoping that um, someone else would win the race and then I'd be like, okay, like pay up. Um, so, I mean, I was definitely pulling a scumbag move there, but let, let's backtrack here. So as soon as Leclerc was out, I immediately said Verstappen's going to win the race. So I wasn't backtracking on my belief of whoever got to that first corner first is very likely going to win unless they have some sort of mechanical problem or they crash out of the race. Um, so it was a pretty fairly easy win for him. But I will say Carlos Sainz, who's the other Ferrari, was pretty much within four to five seconds of Verstappen for the entire race until he had to pass all the, you know, all the guys that he was lapping later on in the race. He lost by like nine seconds or something. So I'm still very confident that I had the right side of that bet. And when you look at the race as a whole, nobody passed anybody. Like Lewis Hamilton could not pass Pierre Gasly for the entire race. Like it's impossible to pass on that track unless you're so much faster than the guy ahead of you. And it just didn't happen. So we're never going to know, which sucks because I'm so confident that I gave you like a, a really shitty bet. But we, we won't know. Like we're never going to set. We'll never be able to know. And we were we were hyped up. We were, we were chirping back and forth for two days or for a, a full day after practice. And then um, sure enough, the, you know, the mechanical difficulties and we didn't get to see the race of the year. But... Like Rob, so again, this is for for anyone who cares and is still listening to this. Rob claims that Verstappen, who is the best driver this year and a superior driver to Charles Leclerc, was going to not pass him because of the fact that nobody passed Verstappen. If a superior driver is in the lead and he doesn't have Verstappen didn't get passed because he didn't have Verstappen behind him. And that's that's my argument in this in this race. Either way, we're not gonna know. But then again, so I, Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton versus the field cashed. I, I know action is back, so I'm a good friend. <laughs> didn't have to because I, I don't think books would have no action that. Right. But it's all good. We'll we'll have to bet again next race. Yeah, I mean those are fun just in general. It, it is honestly so disappointing that he couldn't start that race because like we will never know now. And I was hyped, like really, really hyped for that race in general but it is what it is but i think we all have like that one friend that is just like the type of guy that makes a million predictions on sporting events and then eventually gets one right that's like some sort of long shot and they they like talk it up like 
like they've never made a wrong prediction in their life before. I know like my best friend is basically like that. And uh, I think it's just like a fun game to play with your friends. Like my buddy says, oh, like, you know, uh, Calvin Ridley scoring a touchdown on this drive guaranteed. I'd be like, okay, I'll give you, I'll give you three to one on that. Or I'll give you five to one or whatever. Like I make him put his, <laughs> and then like at the end of the day, he'll be, you'll be like, I, I called that. I knew I called that. I'm like, buddy, you're down like 400 today. I don't care what you call. <laughs> like you called a lot of losers too. So, I mean, it's fun. Um, obviously bet recreationally, I, we, we don't, you know, we've seen cases of problem gaming before where it can become an issue and you never want to bet with money that you don't have. But if you're just looking to spice up a day of sports, uh, whether it's lunch money, even less than that, sometimes like we golf, people would laugh, but we literally golf this week for a dollar a hole. Me and Johnny, we play games in the four and five figures for sports bets. Like we bet on sports, a lot of money. We golf for $1 a hole. Yeah. I personally, this is just, I don't bet for money on like games like golf, for example, because I want to have fun. I don't want to be like looking over Rob's, I don't want to be signing his balls, making sure he's not cheating, <laughs> making sure he's not taking drops in the, out of the bunker, like hitting the sand. So for, for golf, we usually play for like, you know what I mean? It ends up being a dinner, like a okay, loser pays dinner, get beers after. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's fun. And we were only playing, actually, we were, we were playing for a dollar because we were trying out a new game and we wanted to test out some handicaps. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm not the play and bet your friends in games of skill for money. Um, I know Rob probably is. Um, I typically for me, it just turns into like, you're at each other's necks. I don't want to be like arguing with my buddies over like strokes and stuff. So this is actually a true story, but uh, we, we have a pool table here. And and the first game I I played against Johnny this week, he beat me. And immediately I went to Julian afterwards. And I said, like, what odds do you think like I can get for a best of seven against Johnny? Like, and how much would he bet me on that, on that (laughs) game of pool? And he's like, you can start fresh. He's like, you don't even have to give him the one nothing lead or whatever. And you could probably get him to go best to seven at even money. And I was like, I think I got to do this. But like that table is like, you play on it way more now. I think you know the angles a little bit because it's not level. And we've been like really lazy to level it. So yeah. I, I don't know if I want to do that, but. Well, it's a vacation house pool table for anyone who, who wants it. So it's, it's, a, it's a good table. It's a fine table, but it's just like, it's not perfectly level. So uh, balls typically roll to the middle, you know. I, I've got the experience now. I'd, I'd, I'd give you plus 100 and best of seven. Yeah, of course you would. You've been playing on that table like five games a day while I've been grinding. Okay, I want to get into some topics for this week. So this was one that um, um, I got alerted to on Twitter this morning. So uh, for those that don't know, I'll just kind of recap the story a bit because I do want to talk about it. And I think it ties into something that we talked about uh, a few weeks ago on the show in regards to sports betting content. Uh, Doug Kazarian, who is the host of Daily Wager on ESPN. Um, I'll, I'll preface the story by saying that I know Doug fairly well. Um, like, I probably wouldn't say that we're friends, but we're like good acquaintances. We talk a few times a year whenever I see him, say hello type of thing. Um, good guy. I, I consider him a good guy in general. Uh, but the story is he essentially made $300,000 by uh, betting a NFL draft prop. That was a clear and obvious error. Um, but the story is that he essentially wagered something like $3,500 um, on different um, at different times. So like 100 bucks, 200 bucks at a time uh, on Tyson Campbell 
to be the first safety selected in the NFL draft. Now, 99% of the planet had Tyson Campbell listed as a cornerback, but BetMGM had him listed as a safety. So he popped this quite a bit. He ended up winning 300K, big score, tweeted about it, as I would probably as well, because sometimes you just want to let people know. And what really perturbed me was this morning, I kind of going through my Twitter timeline and I see an article on Pro Football Talk by Mike Florio. And essentially, the article calls into question the integrity of sports betting because Doug was able to win this bet. So just reading exactly from the article, Kazarian's wagering violated no rules at ESPN. Otherwise, he wouldn't be publicizing it. Although his job doesn't make him privy to inside information, other ESPN employees may have had such knowledge. It's a dynamic that cries out for clear rules and regulations, checks and balances regarding the activities in which network employees can and can't engage. Um, Looking at it more broadly, the situation shows how wagers unrelated to the outcome of a given game could be corrupted by inside information. And why this rattles me so hard is it's another talk about like the integrity of the game being affected by sports betting. And it's coming from someone who has no clue about sports betting. Like imagine thinking that Doug Kazarian knows everyone that's going to get drafted up until the point that Tyson Campbell is going to get drafted. Like, let's just call this out for what it is. The guy saw an obvious line error, something that he could take advantage of in a regulated market where he knew he was going to get paid and he banged it. And that's what it is. Like, but, but like the, all these replies on Twitter to this article are like, oh, we can't have this stuff happening. You know, how can a, the guy's running a like daily wager. He is betting on sports. And he's talking about it on ESPN. How can you have the guy not bet on sports? Or like, what are we doing here? Yeah. So I I think, I mean, listen, there's two ways you want to put it. I think Rob nailed it. What happened is, is not that he had inside information from Adam Schefter, from another ESPN insider that said, this team's taking this guy because that just doesn't happen um, in these scenarios, especially when you come down to like end of the first round. It's, it's impossible to predict, you know, trades. Like some of the teams don't even know who they're taking at that point because they don't know who's available. So I think Rob nailed it when he said what happened was he saw a line error, obviously something that should have been priced closer to like 15, 20 to one. It was priced, priced near 100 to one or more. And he, and he banged it, exactly what it was. So there's two trains of thoughts here now is, do there's people who are going to say, oh, that that's a scumbag move. You should have never take it. You should never take advantage of a bookmaker. And then there's other people who are going to say respects on it. So I will say one thing is personally uh, myself, I gained a lot of respect for Doug because on, for, for this and only because of this. There's so many people in media right now on ESPN specifically on all these networks that don't know how to bet. They don't they wouldn't have known how to spot that line error from you know, plain sight. Uh, so the fact that Doug actually, you know, went through, was able to identify something, maybe he was alerted to it, maybe not bang the kiosk himself, ended up getting a big score and got paid out respects because that is part of the game. And that is one way to earn money. So like, I have more respect now for Doug talking about betting on his podcast and on ESPN daily wager than I did before I heard about the story. And it's not because I'm saying, oh, you should take advantage of every book you can. Uh, it's because like, 
you, I, I understand now that look, maybe he's not a winning better long term, but you know, this is a kind of like a, a savvy move. He's obviously banned. He's obviously 86 from MGM now. He's done. He can't, can't bet there again. But, you know, he got his 300K. It's a, de- it's a good score, decent score. And, you know, he lives his life and he goes, goes back to his show and it's a good story. So respect for Doug. I'd rather there be people like that giving out picks, giving out things on TV than people who literally wouldn't even understand how, how the odds work in that scenario. And that's kind of a, a major point that I wanted to make. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think there's a lot of things that go into it. And like, you know, I had a friend ask me, like, would you have would you have done that? Would you have made those bets? Like, it's it's a little bit scummy. Or I'm like, it's not scummy. Like, the sports book is trying to take my money just as much as I'm trying to win money from them. Like, I'm looking for every advantage that I can possibly get when I'm betting on sports. Now, there's consequences to that, like you said. I mean, I don't know that he's banned from BetMGM now, but I think it's an extremely high likelihood. And the only reason that he potentially might not be is because he's an ESPN personality and they wouldn't want him to tweet about that or have any sort of negative um, connotations associated with their sports book. But, like... I think that's executed to perfection. Like it's, it's uh, find an edge. What, what, and, and what does Spanky always say? What's, what's the Spanky go-to line? I think he says, hang, hang the line, take a hit. Hang the line, take a hit. Simple as that. And it's a regulated market. They have to pay it out. Good on you. Now it's very different if I go to a, an offshore or a PPH and try to do the exact same thing. Because if I do it at a PPH or an offshore, there are no regulations in place. It could potentially go unnoticed, but it won't go unnoticed if you're winning 300K. So all of a sudden that's going to raise some sort of flag. Very likely to get canceled. Very likely to lose that account or get limited in that account. Uh, and very likely to get free rolled as well, where they'll leave that bet open even if they notice it beforehand. And if it loses, okay, we're going to take your money. And if not, we're going to not pay you. Now, I'm not saying every single offshore on the planet is going to do that in general, Um there's a few that I think wouldn't, obviously, but you always run that risk. Um, so for me, I think like this is just a well-executed move on Doug's part where he found an advantage, exploited it. And after the fact, like people calling into question the integrity of the game, the integrity of the draft, like Adam Schefter thought Mac Jones is going third overall. That's kind of why I banged Mac, Mac Jones early on. Like th- these guys are wrong all the time. These insiders are not... It could literally be a team calling down from the end of the first round and literally calling Doug and say, you know, we're eyeing this guy. It doesn't matter because there's so many picks beforehand that and that obviously didn't happen either. But like it, I thought it's just absolutely ridiculous. And it, and it's, it just goes back to the point we made like five or six episodes ago. Where we we're talking about the content in the space right now and people are just forced to write about it. And it, I mean... I don't mean to offend Mike Florio, but the guy knows nothing about gambling and probably shouldn't be writing stuff about this. Like it's completely uneducated take. Yeah. I think another thing that goes, um, gets blown out of proportion here is like, oh, if, if he could win 300 grand here, then there's obviously like he should, he would be incentivized to, you know, seek out this info or anyone working for ESPN. The reality is in this scenario, yes, 300K was, you know, the prize, but. Like this was only because he was betting on something that was such a long shot, you know, hundred to one or more. Typically, betting at those kiosks at MGM, like you're feeding in hundred dollar bills, you're only going to be able to get a couple, a couple in there before the line changes or before something gets taken off the board. So, like, you know, he uh, he probably bet, you know, 
probably fed 25 ones into the machine, sorry, 25 hundreds into the machine and was able to get that. But overall, you can't get enough money down on draft props um, to really make it worthwhile to be seeking out inside information. Like for a couple thousand dollars, like it's not really worth it for Adam Schefter to be banging draft props and things like that. Obviously that um, him having relationships with the team and things like that, I'm sure that stuff's kind of prohibited. But for a guy like Doug, who's actually on a gambling show. He's supposed to be giving out gambling advice, information, educating about gambling to the mass, to the masses on ESPN, one of the biggest networks. Um, the fact that he does bet and did this again, like I said, great. I have big respects for that. I, I actually appreciate that. I think one point that, uh, something that goes unnoticed by people who are not involved the space in the space is how sports betting can actually help with the integrity of the sport rather than the opposite way around. So people are always thinking, oh, like, what if people know about the outcomes of the games? Well, if they do, they do in general. But now all of a sudden, let's just, I'll take a random example, but a ton of money starts coming in against Green Bay, right? And then all of a sudden, half an hour later, publicly gets announced that Aaron Rodgers is out. Obviously, there was some info known beforehand. That info was going to be known regardless by someone. Now, with sports betting being the way it is right now, especially in regulated markets and things of that nature. Now, all of a sudden, sportsbooks know that this information is available. They know exactly who's been betting it. Now, this has done much better in the UK than it is in the US right now, because in the UK, like every single bet feeds through into a commission where they can monitor this stuff, uh, especially for soccer and tennis, and they know when match fixing is going on in general, and they can be on top of it. But just by being able to see that what's happening there and that information leaking, you can kind of, so you can go right back to a source and you can get it out of the, the game in general. But just in general, there's, um, there's a lot of myths, uh, I guess, when it comes down to it and people not really understanding how betting works. Yeah. So well said, I think it's is a good segue into what would be our next topic of, you know, winning money at sports books, the integrity of, you know, you see a bad line like that. Do you bang them for it or do you alert the sports book to it and maybe, you know, get in the good graces and things like that? Um, a lot of other podcasts, a lot of other people who have been in the industry professionals for a long time always say like a game is about integrity. You never want to like take somebody down. But the reality is the way the regulated market has become right now is like nobody is allowed to win long term in these sports books, especially a, a recreational joint like the sports book where this happened. So it poses a different question of like, you know, you're like, I guess I'm not trying to be like a player advocate or anything here, but you have to factor in that. Like if you had bet, let's say like the reverse on, like, let's say there was a no price on him being the first safety drafted. Um, they, they don't void that bet. You know what I mean? Like they're taking that money in. If you get limited to a dollar, there's nothing you can do. You can only play $1 now. You know, if you take advantage of a couple bonuses, non-recreational stuff, as, uh, our buddy Joey Kanish mentioned in his, his barstool rant, which I guess we'll get into, uh, there's no, there's no recourse you can have there, right? These sports books can do whatever they want in that sense. So when you do see an opportunity like this in a regulated market, like it poses, it's a little bit of a different story versus, you know, back in the day when there was a bookie who you had an actual relationship with, who was taking your bets and, you know, paying you out of honor, never stiffing, never cutting, things like that. 
it's a different game nowadays, I, I think, personally. Well, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's hard to win at betting on sports. I mean, people that use BetStamp as an example, how many DMs do we get on a weekly basis of people who are now tracking themselves seriously who say, like, I didn't realize that I was a losing better, or I didn't realize this, or I didn't realize that. I mean, that, that's the importance of bet tracking for one, just in general, to be able to see certain trends and spot things. But it is hard to win at betting on sports. There's a reason that there are very few people who do this professionally, uh, and the really good ones who are even in the minority, like a 0.1% that can do it at scale. Because not only do you have to win, not only do you have to find some sort of edge to bet on against the sports book where you have positive expected value, you then have to maintain that over time, which is very, very difficult to do in the regulated space now with the vast majority of the books being William Hills, DraftKings, FanDuels, who are very, very quick to limit players. Even in the offshore space, that obviously still happens, although there are some offshores where you can get a bet no matter what. From a PPH side of things, and for those who don't know, people ask me all the time, PPH stands for paperhead, but it's essentially like a local bookie some guy you'd meet up with on a weekly basis to get paid out. Um, even those accounts, if you continuously win, even if you're trying to disguise your action or make it seem like you're a losing better by parlaying, doing whatever you want, if you're continuously winning, they just don't want the action anymore anyways. Like I'm, I've, I don't want to say I've run out of accounts. That's not true, but I, I'm constantly losing accounts. Like it's, it's a challenge that I deal with in general. Um, and it's it's just an on such an uphill climb so anytime there's an advantage i'm i'm looking to capitalize on it plain and simple yeah exactly i think with with these legal books right now especially the ability to cut and things like that um it kind of throws like the respect angle out the window right because if you're if if a lot of people don't know this right a lot of people play at so we'll, we'll we'll get into the Joey Kanish thing. He basically, you know, he's in Michigan. Uh, he's not, he's no dummy better who's just going to be dumping money into their sports book. So, you know, he's probably had his account open for a month or so, a month or two. And then his limits slash to, you know, $5, $2, whatever they're limiting to at Barstool uh, nowadays. And then he gets to kind of like, oh, well, this is for you betting non-recreationally. So it's not like he took advantage of a line error. It's not like he came in trying to trying to bang them, trying to take advantage of promos, things like that. It's simply put, you're winning money. Uh, if you're winning a, a, enough money, they're not going to want you to play anymore because they want to keep up their 19% hold percentage that they had the first month. You know, dip down, they need to get that back up. So I, I really think in, in these instances, like, the sports books are, it's not like they're not, they're not really treating the players as fairly as they could. So when you see a line like this, now it's kind of like, I don't really feel bad for them. It's not like they're, you know, the gold standard treating everyone like, like a, a great, like a friend, right? Like you're, you're treated like a friend until you start winning. Uh, and then, then it's toast, right? As soon as you start winning, you're all buddy. As soon as you start winning, you go from buddy, buddy to like, get, get, get out of here. It's, um, that one's interesting in general, uh, the, the barstool situation. So I, let, I, I'm not defending barstool. Well, let's explain what happened first. I okay. guess you explain okay. it and then explain kind of Dave's response. Yeah. So essentially, Joey Kanish, who is um, a presence in the gambling Twitter community, and, and that's just an alias for him for obviously it's a character from Rounders. Um, but 
I mean, he, known nemesis of, of Rob Pozzola. I would not call him a known nemesis. I've worked with Kanish on some stuff before. We we have like a public beef that isn't like really real, but like to rip on each other. So um, definitely not a nemesis. And and I do respect the work ethic and the grind because um, I, like I could I actually couldn't do what he does. I don't want to get into the details, but like I'm I'm not really willing to grind like he is just in general. But um, yeah, he's obviously betting at Barstool, winning, like you said, Johnny. And this isn't specific to Barstool, but he gets hit with an email that says, Barstool is for recreational bettors. We've identified that you're not a recreational better. Your limits are cut type of thing. And like I said, tons of sports books do that. And it's the same messaging. It's we provide entertainment value. For recreational, casual, better, we've identified your you as having a sharp profile. You don't really fit the customer that we're looking for, which is basically a customer that doesn't lose money. So either we're closing your account in the most extreme situations, or we are just limiting you. And he obviously didn't take too kindly to getting that email. So he created a, his own video basically saying that this is a joke. And I don't disagree with him. Like just because it happens regularly doesn't mean it's right. I, I've kind of become accustomed to it now, and I've consulted for sports books in the past that have definitely done this type of thing before. So it's not something that's foreign to me. But he posted a big video and um, expressing his discontent. And while Dave Portnoy didn't respond to him directly, um, Portnoy talked about it in general. And basically said that what Kanish is doing is the equivalent of card counting in blackjack. It's not allowed. That's not what they're looking for at Barstool. So that they were well, they were well within their right to limit him. Which is an interesting message, to say the least. Because for one, it, it, it's... <laughs> It's basically sending a message to everyone who plays at Barstool that you're a loser, essentially. Like, read between the lines. Maybe he's not saying that directly, but he is saying that directly. So um, whatever you think of Portnoy, I I know people are are on the extremes um, of of that side of things um, and and the group. Like, I've met Big Cat before a couple times at some Odd Shark events, and he was a great dude in general, uh, like I think highly of the guy just on a personal level, but whatever you think of them, forget about it for a second. Just like the message that's being sent here is if you lose, you can play. If you win, you're not going to be able to play. And yes, in the sense it is like card counting for blackjack, that doesn't make it right. Like, and it's, it's kind of dumb. It really is. Um, So I, I get that they're running a business Anyone who's running a business wants to make money for the most part, but there are ways to accept winning players and still make money. There are sports books that accomplish this quite well, and it might be harder to do. It might not be the business model that some groups want, but it can be achieved. And that's what kind of is the most infuriating about it in general, is that you see sports books like Circa in Vegas. You have your offshores in Pinnacle and Betcris and bookmaker who accept winning players, don't limit winning players, take real bets. And then you have 
not, you know, the rest, which is like 99% that is just saying, well, see you later. The, you know, this isn't for you, which is frustrating. Yeah. And I think what's, what's more frustrating is that the marketing behind these and the marketing and the, the whole like, you know, excitement around legal betting is like, oh, finally a great way. Like we can bet. We don't have to worry about, you know, getting scummed by these offshores, them stealing our money, this, like not paying taxes, all this stuff. But in reality, like, like for example, Barstool ran a NASCAR promotion this past weekend, which was, you know, Dave Portnoy. And I respect the guy. I actually do enjoy a lot of his content, almost all of it actually. Um, I think they ran a, a promotion um, and I could be getting the details a little bit wrong here, but it was something like, if you want to get a ticket to come into this NASCAR party that we're hosting, uh, then what you need to do is go bet minimum $100 on whatever, some events here. And if you do that, as soon as that, the odds open, you bet $100, that's your ticket in, which is good because I like that that marketing in a sense that they're accepting a $100 bet the player is likely losing an expected value of around four and a half percent, assuming minus one ten odd set, and then they get a ticket into this party. A great, a great move if you wanted to go to that party. Um, but then he kind of goes and says, like, well, if you want to be a VIP at the party, then you got to go to this other section of the website. You bet ten thousand. If you bet ten thousand, you're a VIP. If you bet this, you you get this tier. If you go to this one, you get this. And the issue is like, and. No one can bet $10,000 at Barcel Sportsbook unless you have a, a really square graded account, right? So he's basically saying the big shark, the big whales that are going to be dumping money, you get the VIP treatment. And he's advertising it in a way where everyone come play at Barcel, like become one of the boys, like, you know, bet with the boys, bet, bet, uh, like, poor noise, can't miss parlay, bet, you know, back Logan Paul, back these guys. And so it's like a bunch of different influencers and, and things like that. And when you put it all together, I, I feel like the, the, the right thing to do, the fair thing to do would just be to say, hey, Barcel is a recreational book. Bet here if you want to have some fun. Um, but you're not going to be able to bet big and you're not going to be able to win money. Well, you can bet big if you're losing big. That's where it's like, listen, it's business. And I, I understand from their point of view, like, you, you know, Joey Kanish has his own point of view which is this is affecting me in a negative way and it's affecting some others in a negative way. But he knows he's going to get limited. He, of course. He, he's been limited multiple places before and he knows it. it's not like this is a surprise to him. It, it, it was probably like it reached a boiling point. Of course. I, I, I've been there. Like I completely get it. It, it. Something happens to you a few times, you can take it, then it starts to get frustrating and then you just have that, that it's like a spark, right? Where you just snap and you just go off at that point. I've had a lot of those moments. I'm not proud of them. People on my Twitter seem to love them in general and encourage them, but I'm really not proud of of going after specific people. But it gets to you, right? Like you see so much garbage come across your timeline. Sure, you can unfollow people. That's great. You can mute people. Uh, You know, I do all sorts of stuff like that. But then other people that I follow are liking a tweet or something. It appears on my timeline. I lose my mind and I spiral out of control. And the same thing happened to him in general. But like what really, really bothers me about the Portnoy response, and I don't have strong feelings on Portnoy one way or another. Like I've talked about um, like the culture we live in nowadays where you have to be, you know, you have to love something or you have to hate it. There's no one in between anymore. Like I'm in between. I find some of the stuff that Portnoy does hysterical. I think he said some public stuff that, you know, 
he's entitled to say, but I don't agree with. Like I, I'm, I'm not taking a side one way or another, but the comparison to the card counting is what drives me up the wall because the premise is that this is fine. Like other casinos limit card counters. So why can't I limit winning betters type of thing, right? Because they're not playing the game for fun. It's, I, I don't know when this became a thing that this is just correct. Like if you can have some sort of edge over the casino, you're, it's fine that you're banned. Like why do, why is the game of blackjack just not adjusted so that no one can game it? Like, this is what I don't understand. Is it just, I agree. is it because it's historically like it's good, too hard now at this point to change the rules of blackjack, but why not just change the rules so that if even, someone is even counting cards, they do not have an edge. Like that seems to me to be so much easier than to just throw out those players. And on top of that, I really don't think it's going to affect people in the sense that they're going to be like, I'm never playing blackjack again. Like they're going to walk into a casino. They're going to sit down. Okay, now I'm losing on ties. Oh, well, like some people are going to be upset about it and not, but like life's going to go on in the casino. They're just going to go play a different game. So that's what bothers me. It's like this premise that, oh, these guys do this thing. So why can't we do this thing? And it's like this assumption that what they're doing is totally fine and fair. It's not. I mean, I know that they're running a business. I get that you have the option, but at some point, like, it's just so dumb that create a, create a game where it can't be exploited. I don't, it's, it's yeah. not like sports betting. Like it's completely independent. Like you have your fixed cards. This is what can happen in this game. That's adjusted so it can't be exploited. Am I losing my mind in, in thinking this? I, I think you're, you're right. I think, well, doesn't single deck blackjack eliminate like the rules of single deck? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I, I mean, I, I don't know exactly. I, I can't imagine that you can gain an edge unless you're playing potentially with a full table. And there's a lot of cards that come out in one hand where you would know. I think single deck gives you your lowest hold for the versus the casino, but then eliminates the card counting because they'll re, they'll reshuffle. I'm not sure exactly, but but it hurts, either way, it, it hurts the bottom line single deck blackjack because they can deal less hands in an hour than if they went the shuffle that the shoot that has like six or yeah, decks, right? Yeah. So like that's what it, it's it's a it's a business. I get it. I completely understand it, but uh, I, I'm not I'm not advocating for barstool to now say okay we're going to charge minus twenty minus twenty on NFL because that's the only way we can do it, but. Overall, there's got to be like some better solutions in place just overall as an industry. We'll give a plug here. Uh, so there's a, a few sports books like Rob mentioned that won't limit. So if you want to play and you don't want to have to worry about getting limited, go play at Circa Sports. Um, now, right now, they're only in Vegas and Colorado. I think they've launched, they've announced they might be coming to a few more states. I'm not entirely sure. If you're in one of those, if you're in one of those states, uh, Nevada or Colorado, then, you know, open up an account there. You don't have to worry about getting limited. If you're outside of the US or if you're in Canada, if you can play at offshore shops that won't limit you, um, mainly Pinnacle uh, would be would be a good one. Then you, you can do that and likely not have to worry about getting essentially your limit slash in half or cut and, and things like that. Uh, but overall, like we'll, we'll see where it goes. I don't know if this is going to be like this forever, but we'll, we'll have to see. I, I don't see it changing. I don't. Um, well, I mean, look, listen, there's a lot of people out there that limits are never going to be a problem. And I get that. And honestly, just play at the sports book that is suiting your needs. For sure. And for like, you know, for a lot of people, it's the offering, the markets that they have. Do they have this type of thing that I'm looking to bet? For some, it's um, how easily can I deposit and withdraw 
Like there's a lot of factors outside of limits. And and for those people, like I'm not suggesting you go change your sports book, although I would always recommend getting as many outs as you can just in general to price shop. But yeah, I mean, I don't see this. I don't really see it changing because it's not an issue for the vast majority of people. And I think that's why we're just con- like when Spanky first came to Twitter, um, I couldn't stand his persona. I've told him this before separately. But like the whole posting secret videos of some guy at DraftKings limiting me and like, like I thought it was so lame, but I can, I, and and it, I've experienced those things myself, but it didn't frustrate me to the same level. And, And I guess it's because he's doing it at a much larger scale than I am. But over time, it's certainly gotten to the point now where it, I feel like I'm more frustrated by it because I know it's not going to change. Like so many people are fighting to make it change, but it's not going to happen. The market is just flooded by these big companies with tons of dollars behind them that are literally paying every like affiliate possible. Um, Huge. Like when we're talking about DraftKings and FanDuel and Will Hill, like we're talking about mega dollars um, where they market heavily. This is what people see when they're watching TV. It's where they're going to go to bet. And for a lot of people, this isn't a problem. Limiting is never going to be a problem because they don't win. So yeah, we can fight this battle for people to get like, um, you know, no limits, higher limits, whatever. But it's, it's honestly, it's like demoralizing. It's like that uphill battle that you just feel like is a complete waste of time. So why even fight anymore? Fair. I don't, I don't have any powerful contacts in any legal sports books. If I did, if anyone listening does, I'd say here's a really good suggestion is um, there's no use for a blanket limits across the board at a sports book. Pretty much nobody in the user base is going to be able to beat uh, like NFL sides, NBA sides at post and have a legitimate edge at minus 10, minus 10. So, you know, having, and maybe the, the tech isn't there right now. I know this is a big issue, but if you want to limit Limit on props, limit on derivative markets, limit on alternate lines, um, limit on openers. You know, like you don't have to post the NBA games the night before on some on someone's account if they're a sharp graded account. But but definitely like give them a fair pop. You know, you're gonna make more money as a sportsbook anyways if you're letting people bet NFL on Sundays. To blanket limit somebody and just say your limits are four dollars, um, that just sends them directly to another book. I'd say an amazing suggestion that's more of a compromise is, you know, limit on props in all markets and keep the limits full on the stuff that you th- you think you can win at. And if you don't think you can win at minus 10 NFL sides the day of the game, you're just copying the lines anyways from an offshore book, then why are you in the business? So I have an idea that I think is pretty good and I don't think it exists anywhere. And I'll, I'll share it, whatever, out loud even though I think it's a really good idea. Okay, let's save but, it then. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I really do think that this would work. You need a well-established player base just in general. So I'm talking about like big offshores, big regulated books right now. But fine, if you want to limit, okay? You want to limit a sharp better to 500 bucks a play and that better goes to bet 3,000. Give them the $500 play where you're looking to, like you're accepting the, the risk and liability and put the $2,500 into an exchange of sorts where you're matching them with someone else who's looking to bet the other side. They still fill their bet. You're only 
taking a liability of a small amount on that, like, and now it's not always going to fill, obviously, right? There's in some cases, there's going to be more money on one side than the other, but at least give that person the opportunity. Like if you're a, a recreational sports book, that's how you get a sharp player to play at your book just in general. And you still get some liquidity from them overall. I think it's a good idea. Like there's, I think there's enough liquidity there at like a bet online or a Bovada or, or whatever. Like those are just some examples where, okay, we'll take your first thousand. That's fine. And then the rest that you want to bet, we're going to throw it into a larger pool and we'll, we'll get someone else to oppose the action instead. We'll fill it if we can kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Um, In the U S it's not really possible right now based on like the, the laws against exchanges and how they kind of have to be like in interstate i guess yeah. we call them yeah. but we'll see what happens well, that's gonna that's gonna hurt the exchanges in the regulated market right like that they can't cross border yeah and that's why like this is probably an idea that's more suitable for an offshore book like a big offshore could pull it off rather easily because yeah. of the amount of handle that they have coming in so i get that but like that's a possibility i mean now <laughs> the reality is most of these offshores are raking in so much money that it's probably not even a consideration for them. But that is a segment of the market that is just like not being served right now. Because you either go from like $500, $1,000 limits up to 10000 Like there's nothing in between. I agree. I think the exchange model is cool as well. Like it, outside of like that offshore idea, but just having like legal exchanges, we see a couple trying to launch now. But the liquidity needs to be there. Otherwise, you're not going to gain players. Like think about how much money DraftKings points bet fan duel are spending all these partnerships and things like that like it and and also another thing is with the exchange model like i've tried this like nobody wants to post up prices right um it's too easy to get burned by injuries and then you just get steam chased into oblivion on the exchange people want to just go there and bet it they don't want to go there post it and then have to check back an hour later to see if some oh i didn't oh i wanted this bet but i didn't end up getting it and then now you know you, you lost that experience on the game so I mean, filling in real time with somebody else, like having that liquidity, that play, that big player, like big player base, like Rob's mentioning, is so important. I get it. You have to start somewhere, but for these exchanges to work, they've got to be like they have to be massive. Yeah, I, I like the idea of an exchange in principle. Um, I've been part of exchanges. I've done market making on an exchange before as well. Um, they're they're interesting, but yeah, they're. I think there's some like new ideas that I've seen that are, are pre-launch right now, which frankly, I think are going to end up being failures because liquidity is going to be tough for one. But you're taking like the exchange is already a foreign idea to anyone who's bet on sports before. So they're learning something new. It has to be as simple as possible. And I think a lot of new companies in the space are coming in and they're making like these super complex um, exchanges, maybe it's just me not wanting to learn it, but I, I really don't think there's an appetite for a casual better to walk in and say like, you know, to try to figure this out. Like simplicity to me is key in this space. And I don't think that most exchanges accomplish that. Yeah, I agree. And then further point is like the, the regular classic betting doesn't go out of style, right? Betting on this team to win the game, betting this guy to win the fight, that's always going to be king. Agreed. Good episode, I think. I was um, we, we got to go through a, a couple things that happened uh, and tie it back to some bigger topics. So that's going to be it for this week. Episode 13 circles off. Once again, please rate and review if possible. And uh, we'll see everyone next week. See you guys.